Funding for The Spark is provided by Capital Blue Cross, focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like Capital Blue Cross Connect Health and Wellness Centers, which provide in-person services and inspire healthy living. Learn more at CapitalBlueCross.com. The Spark is also supported by UPMC's orthopedics team, offering hip, knee, joint, spine, and back treatments. Learn more at upmc.com slash centralpaortho. Welcome to The Spark. I'm Scott Lamar. Governor Josh Shapiro delivered his first state budget address as governor yesterday. The governor is proposing spending of $44.4 billion, an increase of more than 3.5% from this fiscal year's budget. The governor is calling for a $1 billion increase in education spending, a $2,500 tax credit for those seeking uh, to become teachers, nurses, or police officers, expanding the state's property tax and rent rebate program, free breakfast for all school children, adding almost uh, 400 new state troopers, more money to help low-income families pay for child care, a reduction in the state's corporate net income tax rate, and a $15 per hour minimum wage. Shapiro called the proposal conservative. To discuss the budget plan on the Spark today is Burwood Yost, director of the Floyd Institute for Public Policy and Center for Opinion Research at Franklin and Marshall College. Dr. Yost, welcome to the program. Hi, Scott. How you doing? I'm doing well. So your overall thoughts on what you heard from Governor Shapiro yesterday? I think uh, my first takeaway was that his uh, budget address really re-emphasized the themes from his campaign, which, you know, I think we would expect. Uh, most governors do that. And it really was, uh, I think, an effort to, to aim squarely at the middle. Um, and in fact, when you think about the themes in his speech, he said some things that were, I think, um, pretty interesting. I mean, he, he talked about government being a force for good, which you would expect a Democrat to say. But at the same time, he talked about, you know, increasing economic, economic opportunities, cutting red tape, and moving at the speed of business, which isn't necessarily something you would expect. And I think that sort of, you know, he started out talking about common sense solutions to problems. Um, and he really emphasized those kinds of things. Um, so I think he was aiming squarely at the middle, as you might have expected, given his 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 campaign. So that was the immediate first take for me. Mm. You know, I was going to say much the same thing that, uh, uh, you know, you, me, people in the media, people in the state government, uh, lobbyists, uh, we all follow this very closely from year to year. Most of our listeners probably don't. But one thing that struck me was there was a different tone to this, not just aiming for the middle, but even how the whole thing transpired. The, the governor walked in from the back of uh, the, the, the chamber, uh, and that's almost like a, a president doing a State of the Union thing where he was shaking hands with both Republicans and Democrats. Uh, that's something that Pennsylvania governors haven't done with a budget address. I don't know. It, it's, it's a small thing. But it just seems that uh, there was something symbolic there. Well, I, I agree with you completely. And I think 
Um, I've had some conversations with people where I've talked about how uh, a leader's background certainly shapes their perspective and their actions. And we know he's spent a good bit of time in the legislature. So he understands what's happening um, and what needs to happen to get a budget passed and to get any legislation passed. And so I think you're right about that. I thought it was fascinating the way he started his, his, um, his speech. And he said something, he was talking about Speaker Smith um, who Who's taught a Republican. Him valuable lessons, remember? And he said, the most important thing that you have to remember is that there are three numbers you have to have to uh, think about for everything you propose. 102, 26, and one. That's the number of House members, senators, and the governor you need to get anything done. And so, I mean, his, his, his first, out of the gate, his first statement was about building a coalition to get things passed. Um, it was not a part, in my mind, it was not a partisan speech. He waited until the very end to talk about maybe four or five democratic priorities. And he basically said, these things are off the table, the right to work, abortion rights, gay rights, voting rights, and non-discrimination um, legislation. These are things that I'm not going to negotiate about. They're off the table. But that was kind of at the end of a of a long speech, probably the longest speech we've seen since Ed Rendell, right? So he's basically started by saying, we're gonna do things that are good for common the common people, and we're gonna get there through common sense measures. Um, and it, I, the other thing that struck me uh, was how much he emphasized rural communities. Um, that came out throughout. Um, and I think he also talked a lot about police funding and support for police. So this, this was the kind of speech I think we probably expected given the way he campaigned. Um, he certainly didn't tack to the left here. He, he, he seems to be governing the way he said he would. When you talk about that background and you just touched on police, and I wanted to bring this up, it's a, a relatively small item in the budget when you look at a $44 billion state budget. But it's interesting that he proposed bringing the state police up to the level where they're supposed to be. This would add 384 new state troopers. Now, Josh Shapiro was the state's attorney general. Today, the day after his budget, the first uh, move he makes is to visit the state police academy in Hershey. Crime, especially violent crime with guns, is a problem across the state, but especially in the state's largest city, Philadelphia. Now, you know, one of the things, bro, what I find ironic about this is uh, you probably saw these billboards as well. There were billboards before the election that said, if you are for defunding the police, Josh Shapiro is your man. Kind of ironic. Doesn't seem that way, does it? Uh, perhaps that's part of the reason he emphasized these things, because it wasn't just about the budget tricks that have been employed for years to fund the state police, right? He's, he's proposing kind of taking that funding out of the general fund, creating a trust fund that makes sure that state police are funded adequately, right? Um, but, but that wasn't the only thing. I mean, you think about the tax credits that he's going to give people who become police officers. If you talk about some of the support that he's talking about providing for municipalities, 
um, that too will benefit crime and justice, right? So, uh, you know, I, I think uh, that to me was a real signal that he's going to take that issue um, and make it his own and not, you know, you're not going to be able to attack him on that if these policies go through. And, you know, let's not be fooled. This this budget document is a policy document, right? I mean, this is where, you know, this is where the rubber meets the road in essence, that you can promise whatever you want as a candidate, but putting money to fund things really indicates your priorities. And I think it's really clear that he's indicating his priorities uh, are in school and in public services. I mean, if you look at the, the budget, detail, right? The single, the department that had the single largest um, funding increase, uh, I think was human services. It went up almost 16 and a half percent. So, you know, and then of course, education uh, had a large increase too. So, I mean, I think he's signaling where the things that matter to him are. Our guest is Burwood Yost, political analyst and pollster at Franklin and Marshall College, talking about Governor Josh Shapiro's budget proposal yesterday. And, you know, the word proposal is kind of important here, Burwood, in that uh, this is just the governor's vision of what he would like to see. Now, Democrats, for the most part, fell in behind it. Uh, Republicans, for the, the most part, uh, I won't say they fell in behind it, but they didn't criticize quite as much as what they have in the past, especially the last eight years of the Wolf administration. Yeah, there's no doubt. I, I was I think that was something I meant to mention at the top was one signal that this, um, you know, that this address was um, more to the moderate or more common sense or however you want to define his proposals was the fact that, that the opposition here, Republicans, seemed to be generally on board. I mean, there was some, you know, joking around about the length of the, you know. <laughs> it, it was 75 minutes, by the uh, way. Yeah, yeah I, I think uh, I, I think I read somewhere it's probably the longest since Rendell in 2009. Yeah. Um, kind of Clinton-esque as you think about it, right? <laughs> um, so, you know, but but uh, the, the pushback from Republicans was not strong. I think they would have liked to have seen a little bit more around some of their pet priorities related to um, kind of uh, school choice and funding of school choice, which um, he didn't talk about. Um, but, but frankly, he had some tax cuts in there, uh, you know, which certainly is appealing. He's talked about vocational training on education, which is another thing that's appealing to Republicans. So, you know, it seems to me that he uh, has some ideas. I guess we should remember that this is a, a starting point for mm. negotiations, right? This budget process will play out between now and if we're on time, July <laughs> 1. Um, and, uh, and during that time, the budget will be refigured from the from the legislative side. And so this is his starting position. So maybe some of those things that aren't in there now can be negotiated. But I, I agree with you, Scott. I think this, um, the, the rancor that we've seen recently um, wasn't, wasn't really that strong this time around. Okay, so let's talk about something that wasn't in the budget. The state is flush with uh, money right now uh, from the federal government. But that billion-dollar increase in education, uh, even though the governor mentioned it, the recent ruling 
from uh, the Pennsylvania Commonwealth Court that uh, the funding formula for education spending was unconstitutional. There wasn't anything in that budget that would put dollars and cents in the budget for, you know, after the the court ruling. In fact, that is one of the criticisms I've heard is that there's no more money for poor school districts in Pennsylvania. Yeah, look, I think there's something like a four or five billion dollar hole that needs to be filled as a result of that um, Supreme Court decision. And so uh, it sounded from uh, the speech yesterday that that decision is not going to be appealed by the state. And so that means some progress needs to be made on filling that funding gap. You know, you you probably can't do five billion dollars out of a forty four billion dollar budget in one year, right? That's going to take time to negotiate. Uh, So, uh, you know, I think the fact that there's a billion dollars is a first step, but we're going to have to figure out as a state how you fund that, what you're, how you reprioritize some of these things. Frankly, if you look at, if you dig into the financial statement of the, of, of state government, and, and you're talking about probably, um, deficits, in 26-27 at the current pace, right? And that's not with that new funding included for schools. So, so we've got some structural issues, which aren't new, which we've had for years and years, um, but are exacerbated by the, this decision, I think. And so we're gonna have to, I think there are gonna be some tough decisions to be made about our budget because unlike the federal government, the state government is required constitutionally to be balanced. Um, and so, you know, I think I think that's going to play out over the next few years for sure. Yeah. One of the criticisms from Republicans was and this wasn't from all, but uh, there were some Republicans who said that forty four point four billion dollars was spending too much. But they also mentioned that structural deficit that's coming down the road. Governor Shapiro, before this budget address, said that his budget is being crafted with that in mind, that there could be a structural deficit coming up in just four or five years, as, as you pointed out. And I said just a few minutes ago, the state is flush with money, money we got from the federal government during the pandemic. So, you know, there, I think they have $5 billion in a rainy day fund, but another $7 billion, something like that. Okay, sounds like a good problem to have, but when you're looking at a structural deficit just a few years down the road, it's going to be tough. Well, look, it is. Um, There's no doubt about it, but but this isn't new. I mean, we've had a structural deficit in place for decades. Um, We've never balanced adequately sort of the obligation that the state, the continuing obligation that the state has with specific kinds of programs and the revenues that we get. And in fact, a a central part of this, although he doesn't include it this year, is the continued reduction in um, taxes for for businesses, right? The corporate net income tax. He Mm -hmm. wants to continue to see that decline. And I think many people want to continue to see that decline. But where's the new money come from? Um, That's something we're going to wrestle with. Um, But I also do think it's a bit early. I mean, he's been in office uh, only a few weeks, right? Uh, um, And, and this is a massive job of trying to figure out how to, how to, to build a budget. That process is complicated. Um, So I think, you know, you try to get off 
on the right foot. You try to build some, um, you know, some cooperation uh, with Republicans, and maybe you can really have serious conversations about how you tackle this uh, down the line, because you're not going to tackle it in one budget cycle. One of the biggest lines that, uh, one of the lines that got the biggest applause, though, was right near the top when uh, Governor Shapiro talked about uh, that corporate net income tax that you just referred to, lowering that. He, he said that, uh, I'm competitive as hell and I'm tired of losing out to some of these other states. That got applause from both sides of the aisle. But, uh, I mean, I think that's something that Pennsylvanians can relate to, that a governor is saying, you know what, I'm competitive and I'm, I'm tired of losing to these other states. This is one of the reasons that uh, we're, uh, you know, lowering this tax. Well, sure. Look, I mean, as long as I've been um, following state politics and government, um, we've talked about a brain uh, drain and a population loss and the hollowing out of of, of um, particularly younger people from certain parts of the state. And, you know, if you want a state that is, you know, growing, you've got to figure out a way to, to attract businesses. And so, you know, I think certainly income taxes are part of that. So is the regulatory environment. So, you know, I think it's wise to uh, attract, to um, try to pursue those kinds of things, because let's face it, um, we've, we've lost a bit of population. Um, certainly in relation to the rest of the country, you know, our growth is far less than other states uh, or na nationally. Um, but even compared to ourselves over the past few years, we've lost population and people are moving to other places that are lower tax, lower regulation, um, lower cost of living states. Something that Governor Shapiro didn't call for, which was a staple during the Wolf administration, was a tax on natural gas drilling wells, or what became known as a severance tax. That, you know, he didn't call for that. Republicans, you know, right away, that was one of the most unpopular tax taxes that uh, Republicans, for Republicans. But uh, Governor Shapiro didn't call for it. So I, I wonder going forward whether that means that, uh, you know, just as you said, that as Republicans have been arguing that it makes Pennsylvania less competitive with those other energy producing states. Right. And, and you know, I, I, I guess it circles back to avoiding the big fights, at least at this instance, right? He knows that that was a non-starter for Republicans, um, just like he listed the non-starters for himself, things he's not willing to negotiate about. I think he understands the fact that that's important to Republicans. So, so let's not start this in a divisive way. Let's leave that off the table. Although, you know, there's some things he did propose that uh, Republicans have traditionally not supported, like an increase in the minimum wage. Um, and you know, he called for a $15 an hour minimum wage, which is quite popular. Um, frankly, so is a severance tax when we're talking mm -hmm. about public opinion, mm -hmm. right? People do think that taxes, um, uh, they do support that as they support the minimum wage, but I understand the, the calculus that uh, the governor made to say that, hey, that's a non-starter for them. So let's be focused on things we can do. Yeah, I, as a pollster, you know what uh, people have been saying, what Pennsylvanians have been saying for the last 10 or 20 years. And I wanted to ask you about that minimum wage. 
There have been Republicans, including, um, you know, Senator Wagner a few years ago, who was a Republican candidate for governor, who said they would support a hike in the minimum wage, but not necessarily to $15 an hour. The economy has changed. You know, the, the workforce has changed. The number of jobs out there have, have changed in the last th- three years. I wonder whether Republicans would be more apt to support going to $15 an hour now. It's a, it's a fair question. You'll have to ask them. I'm not, I'm not sure where they're at on that. But um, certainly we know the states around us have a higher minimum wage. There's no doubt about that. Um, and and it's popular with uh, the public. Mm. We only have a minute or so left, and I want to thank you very much. I, I, you know, as your role as a pollster, is there an issue that stood out for you yesterday that maybe the public supports that you didn't hear anything about or something that goes against what the public says? One I have in mind is legalization of marijuana, and I'm asking you this in like 30 seconds, Burwood, but uh, that wasn't in the budget, but it kind of was something that could be coming down the road. Yeah, it, I mean, I think there's gen, there's popular support for it, Scott, although I think just yesterday um, a legalization measure in Oklahoma was struck down. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think this is something that's not without its costs. For a while, we thought it was free money. Um, I think that's one of those things that that we'll see studied um, because I'm not sure it's a, it's a complete net benefit to do that. Burwood Yost, pollster and political analyst with Franklin and Marshall College. Burwood, always good talking with you. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thanks, Scott. Talk to you soon. You're listening to The Spark on WITF, your home for NPR and discovering all things local. I'm Scott Lamar.